Ah, oh, for Christ's sake, Anakin. Hello and welcome to episode 67 of For Christ's Sake, Anakin. I'm your host, Matthew Neugebauer, coming to you live to air on this overcast, cold Thursday, November 19th, 2020. It is the Thursday after the 24th Sunday after Pentecost, if you're counting. Next Sunday is the Feast of the Reign of Christ. And then we're into Advent, the best season of the church here. As always, I am joined by R2-D2. Give us a whirl. Help me, Obi-Wan Kenobi. You're my only help. And my trusty water bottle that I snuck a little swig into. Uh, This week we're going to get into The Mandalorian yet again. I have not set out to make this a Mandalorian reaction podcast. If I was invited to something like that, I'm sure I could do fine, but... Uh, figure you know, this is a commentary podcast and yet this this show keeps jumping into my lane of things to talk about and giving me things to think about things to consider and so we're going to look at the latest episode from last Friday I've had time to gestate consider some of the re- realizations that have come in that one we are uh, yeah about 11 and no I can, I can i can do math we're we're 10 and a half hours a time of recording away from the next episode but good time to think and reflect and you know spoiler embargo is gone so why not first on the pull list though uh, i'm going to gotta briefly mention grab it up here star trek year five uh, number 16 by jody hauser and this is interesting it they've jumped into this sort of pre-election slash election campaign for UFP presidency. Year five is meant to be the fifth year of the, uh, the original Kirk enterprise. And uh, cause they did a year four a number of years ago, year four comic by IDW year five. This, this issue in the last, this arc has been written by Jody Hauser and, and with artists um, at all, I should say. And, uh, yeah, it's interesting. There's an election campaign. Harry Mudd was running for president. And <laughs> I'll admit, admit it was a bit on the nose in terms of Trump and bringing out the themes of he's not a serious candidate. It's the originalist faction behind them. You know, a thinly veiled reference to nativism from, I believe, 19th century U.S. politics that has reared its ugly head in contemporary basically fascist expressions of white supremacy in the United States. But uh, the smarter, very calculated, self-interested minds behind Trump. Anyway, this one was a bit on the nose, I think, just uh, may have been a bit more subtle ways of expressing it. I think of the Vote Loki series from a few years ago that Marvel did. Maybe a bit more subtle, but, you know, never never hurts to have a little fun with this. I think we needed to have some fun, especially after that last election. Uh, I had thought of doing a commentary on, or, or a little bit of special on the election, but I think that's also been done ad nauseum. Um, let me just reach over and grab these. Also on the pull list, a pair of Mustafar stories came out last week. The delay, or sorry, I should say... Uh, Mustafar stories in the last two weeks, Darth Vader number seven, Marvel Darth Vader number seven by Greg Pak, 
And then uh, the Star Wars Adventures Shadow of Vader's Castle by Kevin Scott as all uh, two very different stories, interestingly exploring. So the, the, the Greg Pak story is Vader himself on Mustafar, continuing to explore his past and exploring his present. The Star Wars Adventures Tales of Vader's Castle is the all-ages comic that goes back and tells stories of how the Mustafar is still haunted by his memory. And I think they're both books have some hints at uh, some concepts from the rise of Skywalker that went unused that would have made the film better. <laughs> uh, just kidding. Um, yeah. And I think with tales with the, uh, the Greg Pak Darth Vader run, we are going to get to that creature uh, that Kylo Ren in the concept art. And I believe in the novelization, he does end up encountering uh, before finding the Wayfinder. So, interesting books to get into. Uh, I will have more indie comics to highlight, more Engine Ward coming up this coming week, and then uh, some other books on the horizon. Okay, I'm going to take another swig of water, make sure I'm hydrating, make sure you're all hydrating and breathing, and enjoying life. So, uh, a few weeks ago, uh, I talked, I went into the question, I started with the question, why doesn't the Mandalorian know about the force? And I gave my standard answer that I actually happened to like the whole, uh, well, the empire did its best to, uh, to, to stamp out faith in the force, but I, I didn't give a lot of meat on the bone to that in terms of, well, is that the real explanation for Mando? For Din Djarin specifically, and following, you know, Alex Damon's theory that maybe he was just kept hidden from that, all that. Anyway, I ended up with what I think is a more interesting story question, and the story question of uh, of the series, or this at least this season. What does it mean for Din Djarin to encounter? Uh, to re-encounter the Force, or encounter the Force for the first time, to have the child in his clan, and see see the child, especially beginning with the Mudhorn, but ever since, use this mystical race of any resource or weapon thing <laughs> that he doesn't quite understand. Um, and, and, I, and I thought, okay, well... It might lead him to explore uh, a what more Mandalorian tradition. So fast forward to this past Friday, and first of all, let me say uh, the reveal of Bo-Katan live action played by Katie Sackhoff. When I when I thought the the reveal of Cobb Vanth was a big deal, and that was awesome. This is a whole new level. This is. Uh, again, we're, we're actually going for it in terms of the story that's laid out before uh, in Clone Wars and Rebels, going for the story that so many of us have invested in. And, uh, the, you know, credit to, definitely credit to, to Dave Filoni, and he's going to have his two cents in there. But I got to say also credit to, you know, Dave Filoni, the man in the hat, I also got to say credit to uh, John Favreau, the man in the mask, 
you know, at first I thought Favreau would be, oh, this originalist who wants to write stories because they're cool, uh, you know, playing with his Boba Fett toys. And sure, he's doing that a little bit because it's fun. And Dave Filoni's doing that a little bit because it's fun. But I got to remember, you know, John Favreau has been on the ground of this specific story of uh, Death Watch and the the, the Vizlas and the Kreezes and uh, who and, and the Dark Saber. He's been on the ground of that. He is pre Vizla, right? Uh, you know, he you know, when you when you give your voice to a, perfor- a performance, your voice performance to a character, you are there. You're in it. You are that character. Uh, and so, you know, credit to to John Favreau for for writing this episode and for uh, being willing to continue to tell this specific story that he's been a part of. Right, uh, he <laughs> plays Paz Vizla, the uh, uh, you know the the Mandalorian commando, or whatever. In what we now know as Children of the Watch, uh, he's the voice of that that character too. I don't know if he's the body, but probably definitely the voice. Um, in season one of the Mandalorian, it's fascinating to see this story continue, and I got moved forward in in a new way. Um, and so, you know, Bo-Katan. It's a, it's a good point. I should say uh, Saw Gerrera is, is the first to make the leap from animated to live action. But with Bo-Katan, it was intentional. Right? Saw Gerrera is, is a bit of a happy accident. Right? We, the, he didn't... He was just this, this character on Onderon. And uh, the, the writers of Rogue One were looking for a good character that might fit. And so they happened upon, or the story group suggested, hey, there's this character, Sagarera. Worked great. Love it. This is a conscious, we're bringing back Bo-Katan. We are, we already brought back the Darksaber. We're bringing back Bo-Katan. We are going to uh, tell this story, or at least hinting that we're going to tell this story. Katie Sackhoff said she's probably going to come back in the future future days or at least we're going to continue whatever medium that is we're going to continue to hear and learn this story of Bo-Katan wanting to retake the throne and it's interesting because it's it's not let's say a light story it's a could be a dark story there is a darkness to her character nine years or however many years it is after we last see her with the dark saber uniting the Mandalorian clans against the Empire. Clearly the Purge and maybe the the rough and tumble divisions and, and tumult that she's had to encounter has hardened her. Um, you know, seeing I mean seeing her, her sister <laughs> be murdered by Maul like that. That already had to have hardened her and then seeing her home planet be whatever it is the Empire did, we don't quite know. Um, you know, probably Sabine's weapon, named af- nicknamed after her sister, <laughs> might have had a hand in that. Seeing her home planet devastated, seeing the Empire rise and the galaxy being in disarray. So it's exciting that we're going to continue that. And, and Katie Sackhoff is absolutely the right person to, in the fa- in the flesh, in the face, <laughs> continue that great goosebump moments.
from Friday. But that isn't really the main topic for today. The main topic is what she ends up telling Din and Din about himself. And you know, if we're going to tell this uh, story of Bo-Katan and uniting the Mandalorian clans, the, the writers have a tricky tightrope to walk here. It's the same tightrope they had to walk with, uh, with you know, not letting Ezra and Sabine and Kanan and Hera and Zeb and Chopper, not letting, well, Ezra's story be overwhelmed by Ahsoka's presence in the show, right? That, that was, that was difficult. And, and being overwhelmed by Vader's presence, for example, in the show, it was difficult, um, to, to sparsely seed her in, seed Ahsoka in there. They ultimately succeeded in saying, this is Ezra's story. This is his journey. And we got to see that journey. Similarly with Ahsoka, right? It would, they they had to walk this difficult line <laughs> when George Lucas says, you know, Anakin is going to have a Padawan. It's going to be a teenage girl. <laughs> and uh, it was very hard for Ahsoka's story to not be overwhelmed by Anakin and Obi-Wan and the war and everything. But ultimately, they very much succeeded to the point where we are so excited and so stoked for Ahsoka to be coming probably in the next two episodes in live action again. I finally believe those rumors that thanks to Clone Wars, they were able to actually create a character that stands on her own. That's up there with the main characters of, of the film trilogies. That was an astounding achievement. We're already invested in Bo-Katan. We're already invested in Ahsoka. We are more or less invested in Din and the child, but they have to be very careful and very clear that everything they show is from his perspective and his growth, Din's growth, and the child's growth. You know, the, the last episode, not this past one, the one before, it's not filler. It is, there were some great character moments, child learning, there's his first steps into a wider world, right? Not everything is food. <laughs> Finally seeing that in this past episode. So the most intriguing moment in this latest episode then is not just the reveal of Bo-Katan and what she's up to and what she wants. For me, the most intriguing part was uh, this reveal that Din is part of an extremist cult called Children of the Watch. And, uh, you know, which, I mean, I love that name. There is, of course, the connection with Bo-Katan's story. She was part of Death Watch, and we saw Din being rescued by these kids, by by, uh, Mandalorians with a symbol like Death Watch. So, yeah, we can speculate that the Watch in question is Death Watch, but transformed even more radicalized, even more pushed underground as, uh, uh, as Mandalore gets smushed by the Empire. And the boot of the Empire really clamps down and, and Mandalorians disperse. And so we have the phrase, this is the way. And 
you know, I'm, I'm titling this episode, is this the way really? <laughs> and because in, in, in light of this reveal, this explanation, okay, he, the, this is this one faction where they don't take their helmets off and, or yeah, they don't take their helmets off that they, they're in this hidden covert. They want to restore the way of the Mandalore. This is the way, um, my, you know, my buddy Din, he, another guy named Din, he called it right and says, this is the way, if it's the way that's problematic. And, and he was ultimately right in saying this is very limited and, leads him leads Dinjarin to immediately discount Cobb Vanth, for example, who I mean he isn't claiming to be Mandalorian. But even to discount Bo Katan, who is claiming not just to be Mandalorian, but to wants to be the Mandalore herself, right? Um, the armor being in her family for three generations, which is relatively recent for for Mandalorians to having having Beskar. So yeah, that is problematic to discount Bo-Katan Kryze and say she's not a real Mandalorian. Come on. Um, that being said, you know I, I understand this on on two levels. So uh, for on the narrative story level, you know th- this is the way had a, an emotional resonance for uh, for us in the first season, for Din in the first season. It was. Clearly, he clearly took it seriously. Yes, both in the external, wearing the mask, wearing the the armor, um, taking the child into his his clan, treating people with integrity and fairness, and ultimately, yeah, like with the child, changing his whole tune and going against the code, and <laughs> um, embarking on this new mission to return this child as a foundling to uh, this race of enemy sorcerers. Um, you know, so there's that, uh, you know, the, the clear, clearly a helpful import there more broadly with the parallel. Uh, so I'm actually, I'm helping teach and sitting in a course for church on apocalyptic texts and all of these texts, be it Daniel or Enoch or, Revelation or the Sibylline Oracles or who knows what or whatever have been written in times of crisis, in times of dispersion, in times of oppression. And what happens is these communities, oppressed minority communities, they really try and hunker down. Um, in times of corruption and decay, they really hunker down and double down on We've got to restore the way things were, and uh, and so that what they end up doing is they create this mythos of us versus them, of in versus out, in order to provide comfort and meaning in this de- these desperate circumstances. Um, the problem is if you <laughs> make them all or nothing. Uh, yeah, and that's that's kind of where I'm getting it here. The problem is if you if you say this is this is the way and there is no other way and you actually reverse it, one of the, the things that a lot of uh, difficulties we have with apocalyptic literature are folks who take uh, take these images of judgment and of sheep and goats that we're gonna hear 
if you if you go to a mainline church on Sunday, we're going to hear this parable, the sheep and the goats. And they say, you're in and you're out. You're good, you're righteous, you are have eternal life. You're unrighteous sinner, you're going, you're condemned to hell. And using, and the, the problem is we have a long history of people using that to put themselves above others. And, and so what's fascinating here in this story with Din is he's immediately confronted, not just by some, you know, Cobb Vance, some guy out in the wilderness who's trying to hold a town together, but again, by Satine Cry, or not Satine Cries, the sister of Satine Cries, Bo-Katang Cries, sorry, Cries, not Cries, Bo-Katang Cries, who, again, she's claimed the Darksaber, and she has Beskar, and yet she removes her helmet. She's connected to Death Watch, and and that again, I'm fascinated by what happens there. A few weeks ago, what I speculated on was that uh, you know Din encountering Force users is going to require him to encounter deeper Mandalorian tradition. What we see here then is he's going to, he's encountering that deeper Mandalorian tradition is actually more broad, deeper, and more more expansive and diverse than what he's been raised to believe. And I really like this idea. You know, we think in our culture, I, you know, and it comes from probably this history of people thundering judgment from on high, <laughs> from a pulpit, that tradition is smaller and more enclosed and innovation is broader and, and more inclusive. And in a lot of ways that can be true. I mean, certainly in terms of doctrine, there's a lot of doctrinal clarity in the tradition, but in more recent times we say we have to be more inclusive and be more doctrinally inclusive and change and grow. And that, that is true to some extent, but you know, say I were a time traveler and uh, it was possible for me to safely, mentally safely go to 16th century England where my own church tradition originated from, the Anglican, uh, the Anglican Church, the Anglican Communion, the English Reformation. I could recognize the prayer book. I would recognize, I, I've studied and I know the history of its forms but it's an entirely different world. I would have to expand my horizons in order just to grasp where these people are coming from, what they care about. (laughs) And in some ways, maybe, I don't know, I'm trying to think, maybe they'd be more inclusive and welcoming in part because of our, our technology has made it, this may be a theme for, for this coming Sunday, right? Our technology has made a lot of things more convenient and so our survival isn't so much at risk and so uh, you know never mind going back to the ancient Near East where hospitality was an absolute matter of life or death uh, going if I went to uh, you know 5th century Asia Minor I would encounter an incredibly different world that has a different configuration of gender dynamics and assumptions about ordering society and then if i went back to the first century where you know if i if i 
walked with Jesus, I would have no idea what he's talking about because, well, first of all, he'd be speaking Aramaic. But, uh, that I mean, that's really the claim or one of the claims that the Christian tradition makes is that I mean, Augustine saying God is ever ancient and ever new, that no matter what era and what time we're in, the whole communion of saints, the whole breadth of tradition will always have questions for us. We are going to look back on our own time. Uh, you know, and this pandemic has forced us to some, some extent. We're going to look back and say, what? They did that? They allowed this? You know, they, they let insurance companies dictate who got health care and that that was okay. And now we're doing that now from another, I'm doing in Canada, doing that to the U.S. But, uh, you know, th- there's this thing about our assumptions about time being linear, progress being linear, that I'm interested to see this story in the show start to question. Uh, so Din is going to probably hear about uh, Bo-Katan's sister, Satine, as I, as I mentioned before. She, the, he's probably going to hear about her. He's probably going to be horrified that <laughs> she tried to rule Mandalore as a peaceful ruler without Beskar, without the Darksaber. He's going to be horrified at that, right? That's not the way. That's not the way of the Mandalore. And he's going to be confronted with the possibility of, well, what if it is? What if there's an aspect of Tarvizla's legacy uh, in two ways? What if an aspect of Tarvizla's legacy that actually was to unify under you know, under consent and consensus and a peaceful banner that the Darksaber is merely a symbol of that unity. I mean, it's an odd symbol. It's a sword. But just like the way, you know, the, you know in Canada we have a crown. Uh, we have a, a monarch who technically we, in Canada, citizens owe, owe our allegiance, our fealty to. New citizens actually have to say an oath of allegiance that's just a symbolic thing, right? We don't actually care or consider her all that much unless we want to as a symbol. On a side note, I am a little surprised that we never saw Satine maybe having her her own set of Beskar just stowed away somewhere just to say her symbolic, uh, a source of symbolic authority. But that's for a whole other discussion. Din's going to be horrified and yet be confronted with the possibility that, again, that might be Tarvizla's legacy. Also, what if Tarvizla's legacy is in part an example of what not to do? And there I think of King David and how some of some of his story is about, yes, this is how to be a ruler after God's own heart. Uh, but some, some of it is uh, he committed adultery and let his his generals run amok and his kids hurt and murder each other and <laughs> you know elevating our heroes that way is not always the healthiest either um, he's going to encounter this and and my biggest speculation then is he's going to uh, encounter Ahsoka Tano who 
my speculation about him encountering Ahsoka Tano, who we was name dropped, who again we're gonna see in the next few weeks, and what her story is all about is saying, here is this Jedi tradition that raised me, brought me up, guided me, instilled both the skills and the wisdom to carry on at this very critical moment. The the heralds and arbiters of Jedi tradition let me down and, and betrayed me because they were to embed with the politics of the Republic. But now, how many decades later, I've had to navigate, okay, what, it, what is the baby and what is the bathwater? What is worth holding on to in, in the Jedi legacy? And now that the Empire is gone, now that uh, the New Republic has given free reign to Luke to do his thing, uh, what can I pass on and what needs to go, what needs to uh, be set aside. And and she's had to do that since she was 18, 17, 18 years old, right? What will instead connect with people better is this celibacy requirement. Does that actually work? Maybe it does. Maybe it doesn't. Uh, You know, or that scene at the end of Clone Wars where she lays down her lightsabers and, she ends up having to find, make new ones, but uh, that symbolic thing of you know, this violent, this commitment to violence and weaponry, <laughs> and even as a symbol, but also really making war for the Republic, that's got to go. And um, we see the extreme of the extreme of that in The Last Jedi. Right? We see this pressed with. Luke ultimately trying to discern baby and bathwater, he takes it to the other extreme. He says, oh, it all has to go. It's time for the Jedi to end. But Rey then comes and reminds him, no, actually, uh, there there is good and there is hope. And we are actually called to gather peace, people peacefully and use our, our powers and our wisdom to make a way to make a way for the future, for the next generation to rise beyond us <laughs> and to learn from our wisdom for them to discern the way forward. Right? That is the way, that is what the child is teaching Din. That is what I think Ahsoka is going to teach Din. Um, the, you know, the, the, that this tradition for Mandalore Right. What if Bo-Katan is off the rails and he has to step in and say, you know, I don't know what the way necessarily is, but I know that's not it. Maybe this is the way of not having this vengeful attitude, um, not tapping into this darkness, but again, tapping, quoting Alex, finding this balance, finding the sense of, okay, we can have these diverse expressions of what it means to be Mandalorian, but if we are, you know, by creed, you know, treating people with loyalty and integrity and respect and making good on our commitments, 
those things that he has learned growing up in as a child of the watch right the baby in the bathwater <laughs> that is where i see din's story going hopefully that is where uh, i see him hopefully informing the future direction of this renewed mandalorian society it's going to be that story through his lens and his impact as the Mandalorian. (laughs) Um, All because he stepped out into a larger world, as Star Wars always does, right? Stepped into a larger world and is discovering that everyone is from somewhere. Where you're from can inform you It can't dictate everything, but it can inform you. And uh, you got to keep learning and keep growing and keep being open to what if there are other ways to be the way. And about incorporating those and integrating those into the way you move through the world. So those are my thoughts. I know it's a bit of a shorter episode today. Um, as you can see, my voice is kind of going, so I'm gonna gonna call it a night. But uh, yeah, this is, has been episode 67 of For Christ's Sake, Anakin. If you if you think if you liked what you heard, if you have comments and thoughts, drop me a, a line on Twitter at neug485. If you want to give me a follow on Instagram at mneug1138, let me know. So I know you're not a Russian bot. <laughs> Let's discern what this way synod on the way together is for a Star Wars fandom for the church and for society again this has been episode 67 of For Christ's Sake Anakin thanks for listening may the force be with you always always